Good afternoon and welcome everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. And a good day to you, sir. Man. Redemption Thursday, although the field is limited these days on a Redemption Thursday. Great to be with you. I'm Jeff. That is Tom. You're you and you're listening to me, and I appreciate that. Thanks so much. If you're watching on War Chant TV, don't forget to like and subscribe. Share the love. Don't be selfish. Keep it all to yourself. Hand it out by letting others know about this here program, and that's a good thing. Good to be with you. Hey, so right off the bat, right, we get the good news. Saw where Fabian Lovett is a really nice player, by the way. If you if you if you dig down in and, and watch tape of my man, he's a baller. Fabian Lovett can really play. So that is a good news to say the least. He's coming back. He announced it uh, earlier today. And uh, all right, big man, way to go. Wait, it just puts a smile on my face. That's what that does. It was expected, but you never know. Yeah, you don't. You, you don't. never know. You don't. So you're kind of like, all right, need to see it. So I'm pleased about it. Uh, cozy day. Just that day. Today feels good to me. I'm, I'm in a good mood. It's 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 Redemption Thursday. We've edged ever so closer uh, for us to be able to to sit down and really embrace and enjoy a little playoff football, buddy. Hey, you know, yesterday, Tom, on the show, we kind of and we this has been a theme for more than a year, but it's it's I had a conversation with a fellow college football enthusiasts who has their concerns about the uh, the state of the game and and they were being reflective uh, on Georgia's national championship and we we're just talking about you know what that represents and and moving forward and, and he was asking me questions he doesn't live in the state and he was asking me questions about Florida State and we were just talking about where, where Florida State needs to get to and how far really everybody's got to go to catch up to, to Georgia and Alabama and all that stuff and uh, and and as we were talking about that, and sort of the lawlessness of the land in college football as it pertains to recruits, whether they be high school or on somebody's roster, whatever it might be, right, that process. Uh, and, and we talked about, I basically posited that outside of Ohio State and what I think soon to be Southern Cal, college football is a regional sport. It is very much a regional sport. You really can't compete unless you're in the South. In particular in the SEC, the ACC is not competing. Clemson looks like they're sliding. No other conference is really competing. Now the Big 12 has lost Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. Yeah, nobody else really competes. They're not really competes. I mean, the, 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 the stark contrast of Cincinnati in the playoffs, their players to, to, to Alabama's players, it didn't, didn't look like they played the same game. No, I think the path to competing, quote-unquote, and, and that would be making the final spot of the college football playoff, mm-hmm. right? So getting to the playoff would be the accomplishment, is yeah. is to be a program like Florida State's where you still have enough in your reputation to bring in enough blue chippers, and then you use the portal to put yourself over the top, much like a lot of college basketball programs mm-hmm. are doing. This mm-hmm. is a storyline that, that we know about all too well because we face a lot of veteran-laden teams this year that might have not been nearly as experienced last season in college basketball. And that's something that's going to be talked about a lot more as March Madness approaches by the national media. Mm-hmm. But that would be the path for Florida State currently. Now, if we have a revised system in which revenues are shared a little bit more, perhaps the path is easier. 
But the good news is if Clemson continues to slide. And we rise up. Right. A conference championship, a good year, the schedule being very difficult as it is for Florida State over the next five years, then then you might find yourself in in a position in two or three seasons to be in that conversation. You're pointing to the immediate for Florida State. I'm talking about the big picture for college football and and what's what's at stake. Now, this is a long-term discussion about where does the sport go, how does it heal, how do we become less regionalized, etc., right? Now, the only reason I bring this up is – I said to you, I think it was, it, maybe it wasn't yesterday, maybe it was on Monday. Didn't I say to you that I, as somebody who grew up loving college football, that I preferred it more than the NFL, but last year I preferred the NFL more than college football, and this year I prefer the NFL more than college football. And, that, and at the time I alluded to the fact that there were a lot of reasons for that. It wasn't specific to anything like an NIL problem. or It, it wasn't very, it wasn't that, but they, they the amount of teams that can compete, realistically can compete, have been seemingly, it was always really top-heavy, and it was always one-sided in college football historically, but it's gotten even smaller. Like the idea of a Colorado or a Georgia Tech who split a national title in 1990 ever doing that again, it seems impossible. A game that features a top-five-ranked Virginia team against the top-five-ranked Georgia Tech team seems impossible. It actually happened when I was in high school. Uh, BYU winning a national championship in 1984. That's never going to happen again, right? So we, we continue to just funnel this thing down to where you have four to six teams maybe at the start of every season that have a realistic chance. And even, I don't know about six. Six seems like a lot. Seems like a lot. That real like Michigan didn't look like they belonged on the field with Georgia. Those two teams are in stark contrast. Yeah, it felt like it in November, but then it was quickly corrected yeah. by New Year's Eve. Well, yeah. when you watched it, when you watched the game, you went, "Oh no, no, no! This is not one of these things. Is not like the other." So that was kind of that, right? All right. Well, the symmetry here. I read a great article today. I'll, I'll put it. Uh, I should link it on Twitter, and and that's what I should do because I never do, but I should. I read a a good article today uh, by Stephen Ruiz about scheme wars taking over the NFL and how they, you know, compare and contrasting to the schemes for this year's uh, playoff in the NFL. And there are some amazing numbers in this article that the, the discussion of modern offenses, and you and I were on this years ago when we were begging the NFL to open its mind. To, talk, to think more about utilizing concepts that you see in college, like primarily the spread, those kinds of things, right? So the article, and I won't read the whole article. I mean, I'm not going to do that to you guys. But in 07, basically, they say all talk of the modern offenses in the NFL, modern era of offenses, start with the 07 Patriots, okay? And they finished 16-0. We all know that. They lost a chance of going undefeated by losing in the Super Bowl to Eli Manning, that they lit up defenses that year. If you remember that year, there were embarrassing results. Like, it doesn't happen in the NFL. Very seldomly do you see a team. Now, the Jags were on the wrong end of some of these this year, but they're the Jags. Very rarely in the NFL does anybody get beat like like they do in college. In college, you'll see small teams get beat by big teams 70-7, to right? Not in the NFL. Doesn't happen, right? So... That season, the Patriots beat the brakes off of people. There was like a 55 to 10 in there against the uh, Washington football team. There was, uh, they had several games where you're like, Jesus, 
men amongst boys, right? It, it, which doesn't happen in a salary cap league. It's, it just shouldn't, right? So he talks about that. And Chris Brown, who you remember, uh, smart football, uh, kind of an old school uh, stud when it comes to breaking down offenses and, and, and game plans and all that. Um, in 09, he wrote a piece in which he said he doesn't even like to analyze NFL offenses because 85% of the league runs the same place. They don't, the, the concepts are all the same. Nobody's really changing anything. But what the Patriots did uh, in 07 uh, was usher in uh, a fullbackless era. So they, Wes Welker succeeded. The slot receiver changed the game. So you end up in three wide receiver sets all the time. It pretty much became the standard. And as they went through this, they started talking about how often teams lined up in the shotgun and, you know, how that changed the game. Like, for a long, long time, teams wouldn't line up in the shotgun. Then a few teams started lining up primarily in the shotgun. They weren't under center. Like, 80% of their plays, they were in the shotgun. And at first, three or four teams decided to adopt some of that. Pretty much now it's standard that you, A, don't see fullbacks, B, people being in the shotgun, that is the norm. There's not a ton of people lining up for more than 50% of their snaps under center, right? So that's kind of interesting. So he's talking about the progression of offenses. Well, then eventually we, we fast forward, and there's nuance here. When Washington drafts RG3, now we've seen a lot of things happen with Lamar Jackson, for example. So this was the NFL deciding to adapt a lot of college concepts. And it starts after Josh McDaniels does some things. Uh, basically, Andy Reid says to Brad Childress at the time, hey, scour college offenses. I've got this Alex Smith guy. He can run around a little bit. And I want you to scour the landscape of college football and find for me plays where we can utilize this guy's legs. Because we can do a better job of – presenting a math problem to defenses if we can get this guy out and about of the pocket from time to time. Also, he was a little worried about his offensive line at the time. So they did, and they adapted several of those things. Sadly, I mean, you got to give credit to where credit's due. Dan Mullen gets a lot of credit for this because when he was at Florida, he was doing this, and they took a lot of those concepts. And I'm talking about when he was the OC. So then that happens, and everybody's like, oh, this is gimmicky. I, this isn't going to work. You're going to get some guys killed. Well, by 2011, according to Football Outsiders, um, and the year before, 2011, 19% of the time teams lined up in the shotgun. After that, five years later, it was up to 68% of the time. In 2021, only three teams lined up under center more than half their snaps, only three. The trend in the usage of three receiver sets, same thing. We expand on that, and you see a gradual as you move forward, and you go from there. Then you see Colin Kaepernick. Then you see Chip Kelly's Eagles. Then you see Cam Newton. Then you see Robert Griffin III getting drafted. Then you see Lamar right? So you and I were talking about it. Okay, so right now in the NFL, they have the most amount of variety schematically on offense. 14 years after the Patriots kicked off the modern offense era, if you will. Uh, we have never seen schematic variation in the NFL as, ver as, as diverse as it is currently. And I think we have the answer to the very long-winded conversation that I'm in now about why you and I and many others are actually gravitating towards the NFL. It is far less predictable. They have adapted 
uh, to a wide array of schemes. We see people coach it up in so many different ways now. I mean, you can watch an NFL t- game and go, these two teams are running completely different offenses, which makes it really interesting for these defenses who practice a certain way, right? And so you're not seeing the wide array of opportunity uh, for college football teams to win games. I know for different reasons. You're seeing, uh, can anybody rise up and beat Alabama? That's the goal every year. That's all we have, right? That's it. Maybe three teams. That's it. That's all you got. The rest of us, why are we even playing? What the hell's the point? In the NFL, there's a lot of diversity, a lot of change, a lot of, uh, you know, there aren't so many constants. It's It's fantastic. I think some of it is the fact that offensive linemen don't know how to block the old school way, and so some that were on the fence were pushed to the other side. Who right. said, "All right, well, we've right. got to adapt spread concepts because I mean we can't take a first round tackle and develop him for three years. He needs to play now. That's the way this works." Now there are others who were forward thinking. John Gruden, the now infamous John Gruden, wanted to be under center far more. Yes, and then he took his break from the NFL after he got fired, and I think it was '09, whatever yes. year it was. And, and he was on Monday Night Football about five, six years later when he was openly talking about the playbook that he was building. He was, just play, he was building his own playbook. It was, it's ready. Anytime somebody wants to hire me, I have a playbook. He said, I'm going to be in the shotgun 80% of the time. He hated the shotgun. He mimicked He He would call it basically less than manly football Correct. to I be know, in the I know, shotgun. Yes, I know. And a guy like him changing tells you all you need to know about two things. Number one, it works. Number two, this is the type of player that's coming up from the college ranks to the pro ranks. And what it does is it reminds me of the NBA era that I grew up in, where in the Eastern Conference, yeah, everybody was chasing down the Bulls, but the Pacers had two or three superstars. The Knicks had two or three superstars. The Hornets, before they broke up, had a couple superstars. One of them went to Miami. One came to the Knicks. And then out west, you had Stockton and Malone. And towards the the end of the Lakers, you just, all of these markets, Portland, you have all of these markets, uh, the, the Rockets, with superstars because they're different styles. Like even though you, there was a lot of post basketball then, Correct. Reggie Miller was different from Michael Jordan. Was different from Clyde Drexler, and then there was Hakeem, who was a different player than Ewing. That's the good thing for the NFL here is with the diversity of scheme, you automatically create more superstars because everybody's different. They stand out more. Well, okay. So if you run the spread, that is to say, you're the Cardinals, you're the Buffalo Bills, okay, you're you're uh, the Chiefs. Okay, so you're, you're, you're one of those. They specifically run the spread, right? All right. Well, what are you doing? If you just think of the teams I just named, you've just featured a lethal weapon at quarterback who's dual, right? That's exactly what you're doing. Now, not everybody is running the spread. There's this wide zone offense that you see teams run. And this article highlights a lot of that, too, that you can go back through for anybody that wants to, like, really, you know, immerse themselves. You could learn all that. A lot more teams run that. Because you have some under center formations, you have some, you know, you have outside zone, you have bootlegs, you have all that stuff in these offenses. Bengals, Rams, Packers, Raiders, Niners all run that. That's all, they all run that, right? Then you go from there. And, and then you have these kind of throwback offenses. The Buccaneers run a throwback offense. That's what they do. They, to a degree, a lot of gun out of it, though. But it's yeah. downhill run game, vertical play action shots. That's all old school football. That's what I grew up on. I love watching it. You have pre-snap shifts. You have the two tight end formations. We do all of that. That's what we run. We are old ass. But that's okay because there are several teams that do that. The Titans do that. Now, they have a beast they feed when he's right, and they want to go run heavy as opposed to us going pass heavy. But formationally, we're fairly 
Similar, okay? The other team that does that, the Patriots. Now, the Patriots obviously did it out of necessity. Right. And Belichick did something really cool, which was take a step back last year after losing a bunch of football games with a non-quarterback like Cam Newton and then said, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what. Our personnel is already leaning this way. We have, we're defensive-minded. We play in freezing-ass weather half the year. We, we're going to have to really kind of line up and run opposite of what I'm seeing elsewhere. We're going to bludgeon your ass to death and play good defense and field position. And that's the only way, if I draft a quarterback in the first round, that I can bring him along slowly. So they do their homework, and they're like, okay, this kid's smart. He can push the ball down the field, but he's not going to take unnecessary risks, and we'll just spoon-feed him a little bit here. It won't be too much for him. He'll have you know, a lot of in-breaking routes. Uh, he'll have, the you know again, the downhill run game. We'll try to, we'll try to work that in for him. Uh, a lot of two tight end, three tight end sets even. They, they do that, right? So that's old school. And it's, it's just I've just got done naming three different styles of offenses and the teams that run them, and there's more. And it's just it's really cool to watch the amount of diversity that you're seeing from a game plan standpoint. And then what you get is styles make fights. You get a lot of styles make fights. Which is the way it was in the NBA in the 90s. That's right. The Magic had something for the Bulls. The Knicks never did. Well, Toronto had something for the Bulls, oddly enough. And, yeah, so it's it's fascinating because you want to be – uh, malleable. You want to have the kind of personnel where you can say, "All right, we're playing this type of team. We've got guys for that. We can counter that." Oh, but next week we're going to be playing a team who runs something completely different, and I'm going to have to change personnel a little bit. But we have guys who can do that, and so matchup to matchup, you're able to to create opportunities more than some of your counterparts. Yeah, one of the cool offenses in the league, um, potentially speaking, but it's almost like a derivative of two different towns, and we get mad at it at times. <laughs> But Kansas City's offense, mm-hmm. if that one with Patrick Mahomes and Sean Payton's offense had a baby, it would be out in L.A. It would be the Chargers. Because you have a lot of underneath stuff with well, a quarterback that has the level stupid. of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it pisses us off. Well, it's just dumb. But it was built for Drew Brees, who was tiny and couldn't move. Right. right? But now you have those concepts with Justin Herbert, who most certainly can move. Well, and is probably the most physically gifted quarterback in the league. And it's built around a Darren Sproles named Austin Eckler. Who's right? bigger, but yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but not much. I mean, you know, they're they're stocky guys that right. have good hands and and you know they get they get small and, and they get extra yards. That that's the player. They're they're a dual threat weapon. But then you're right. Then the Bucks, if the Bucks are similar to the Patriots offensively speaking, with a little bit of Bruce Arians offense mixed in there, and you could argue about what percentage is, but the difference is the Bucks have the receivers and the Patriots have the trench warfare and the better defense, right? So you have all of these things that are kind of the same but quite different, even though they're of the same tree. And then you have multiple clashes of different styles, like Bucks eagles this weekend. Could they be more different offensively right, speaking? Right, correct. That's exactly they couldn't right. couldn't be more different. No, it's awesome. That, that's what you want. And that's why you're gravitating towards it. If Baltimore and Cleveland, unfortunately, I, I would have preferred both of those teams made the playoffs. Yeah. Well, because they are January football to me. Yeah, but Cleveland sucks. There's nothing about that team I like to watch besides from Not the defense. Nick Chubb? I like Nick, Nick Chubb. Chubb is excellent to watch. He's a great player. You're confusing my... He's a great player. Their quarterback can't play. They are offensively limited beyond Nick Chubb. They don't do anything that threatens anybody. It's because their quarterback can't play. So, And that team was terrible. Terrible. I, I have no desire to watch them in the playoffs. I want a real quarterback there. And, yes, if you want to feature your offensive weapon like Chubb, that's fine. I'm in agreement with you. I like that style of football. I get what you're intimating. But the, t- the rest of that team, ugh. 
No, I, I like that team as, okay, for example, they play Kansas City. Cleveland's got a much better chance than, than Pittsburgh does. Well, Pittsburgh has no the business playoffs. being in the playoffs, but yes. But Cleveland, again, I, I bring it up a lot, but on Christmas, Green Bay is playing at home, playing hard, and they've got something for them because Nick Chubb's averaging eight yards a carry. It's a tougher out. I, I So if you have a team like that, a healthy Derrick Henry in Tennessee and Baltimore all make the playoffs, and then they play, let's just say mm-hmm. that, that the Chargers made it and the Bengals made it and the Chiefs. So they're, they're your six in there. Okay, you're talking about razzle-dazzle against ground and pound. I like that. The problem is, again, the, the other teams that you alluded to that like to run and play that style all have quarterbacks that are plus players. And unfortunately, Cleveland does not have a plus quarterback. And you can't at that point, you're one-dimensional. And in the playoffs, where things get bogged down anyhow, that run game would be taken away. Nick Chubb ain't doing nothing if he doesn't have a quarterback that can – push the ball down the field consistently. Oh, they've got to get better there. There's no question about that. But they took Kansas City down to the to the end. And if it wasn't for the, the fumble out of bounds and the touchback last year, who knows? Oh, well, you're talking about the team that was – and he was healthier, yes. Yeah. They were, but this 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 version, this version – Oh, yeah, he was no, shot. He was shot. Yeah. I actually – I mean, who knows? I'm not a doctor. I mean, he, he, he leads the league and passes batted down because he's tiny. And he doesn't have a strong arm because of the injury. I don't know why they ran him out there. The last five games, I would never have played him. You had a better chance with anybody else. Starting. Yeah, agreed. And and you know, people in Cleveland are up in arms because the the organization is backing Baker. Well, look at the market for quarterbacks out of the draft this year. You got to stick with your guy. It's a bad year to be picking top five. Just a bad year. I wouldn't stick with him. You just well, then you have got to go find a free agent. You're running in find place. What Russell Wilson's price is to come to a town like Cleveland because he doesn't want to. Well, go he's there. not going to Cleveland, but I, uh, I would, I would move on. I don't think even a very, very healthy version of him is going to get you to where you want to go. So at that point, when you make that distinction, that's just me. You may disagree, but when you make that distinction that that guy can't, you got to go. You can't be wasting your time. Well, I hear you there, but he's still on his rookie deal. Like who? Who can you? Who is a better replacement that's out there on the street? You know, you gotta you gotta factor in who would actually want to come to that situation. You could make a compelling pitch that we are a quarterback away from being an eleven win team, and maybe we can make a run at this thing. But I just don't know what the talent pool is going to be. So if you can't replace Baker with somebody that's markedly better, why yeah, why yeah. even bother right now since he's on his rookie deal? So you just got to wear a useless season, man. Yeah. Say that to the vets. Tell that to your fans. That's awful. You can't. That's where we got bailed out. The Brady was available that that particular offseason. Yes, and that's why we, you and I, had the the, the long discussion about it. It's like, man, you're never going to get this chance again. If you think he can still play, you have to move on from Jameis as much as I love Jameis. And I didn't want to. I was because the upside of Jameis was huge, but I was like, it is Tom freaking Brady. There you go, Jameis to Cleveland. No, I would be a yes. I think the Saints will resign him. You think so? Well, they saw well, again, what, it's the open market. Well, they but saw what life was like without him. They're courting Russell Wilson, apparently. Russell wants to go there and like one other market. You think about this: the Saints were five and one or five and two at the time that Jameis goes down, and they're leading that game against us, and he's playing well. Since they lost him, ooh, it's been a struggle on offense. It's been a toughie. Now they weren't lighting it up, but they were much more efficient. He had actually. Oh, he was boringly efficient. He had like, learned. Jeez, oh, they've neutered him. Yeah, well, they neutered him. It was like yards per attempt well, the, five. <laughs> the whole the whole league, uh, basically, any gunslinging type of quarterback gets neutered quick these days. It's all about the turnover or the lack thereof, right? Like just whatever you do, check it down, baby, check it down. I'm like, ah, oh. but 
That's why I like some of these other offenses that don't do that as much. You also have to have a very dynamic runner, and we're talking about different things here. Jeff Cambridge, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply welcome back baby and love it i got carried away talking scheme and my interest in the weekend NFL playoff games, we didn't get to expound further on uh, his uh, return, but he did announce that he is coming back, and that is a, uh, you go read the article on warchant.com, Austin Cox wrote it about an hour ago. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a key starter. He's absolutely a key starter at a position where you really can't really lose anybody else, so uh, I'm excited. I'm very excited. He's a good player, and and you know what? He's a guy that could turn himself into... Um, a, a wealthier man by returning. He's a guy that would have gone to the league this year, would have been drafted, has a chance to, you know, I think seriously elevate his status. Okay, so now here's your starting four up front. It's going to be Fuller, and, and I don't know the ends per se, you know, yeah, how they're going to move yeah. everybody around, but your two ends are Fuller and Verse, and your interior guys are Big Coop and Fabian Lovett. That's nice. Solid. Now you've got to develop that depth. That's the key. Yeah, and you saw some guys coming on later in the year. So uh, I do think that depth was beginning to get developed, and it will continue, as, as you're noting. Um, you know, for example, there were plenty of times that uh, we thought about Jackson and Farmer and guys like that. You're like, oh, okay, that's start Malcolm Ray. And you're like, okay, I, I see it. Um, okay, okay. That makes me feel better, man. Uh, I still want, want some more news at that linebacker spot. So one of Alabama's linebackers went into the uh, portal did. today. Yeah. Instantly the best player on our team. It's the <laughs> first time in my life I've said Alabama. A lot of people say that, but it's the first time I have. I pretended you didn't because I knew it was a slip-up. And I'm a professional. Didn't want to draw attention to Slammer, it. Slammer, jammer, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's no, not doing that. But there you go. Uh, feel better about that. That is good. From there, uh, we'll go back to uh, sort of something that I wanted to reference yesterday when I was talking about the um, remaining the schedule for Florida State in basketball and you know where we sit right now. Remember at the end of yesterday's show, we went back through, you and I did, and I noted the games that were being played last night and how they were going to shake up the positioning and uh, where Florida State ranked uh, with, with the net rankings and all of that because as the teams begin to play one another, strength of schedule shifts, all of that. So here, here's the deal. Uh, what happened last night was Duke beat Wake Forest, gave them their first loss, uh, seventy six sixty four. I watched some of that game. Did you watch any? Of that? I did yeah. actually. It's amazing what happens when you win a couple of basketball games of your own. You reinvest. Yeah, a little bit. And that was a good game in the first half. Duke pulled away with one hell of a sequence in the final minute of the first half, and that was kind of it. They told Wake Forest what time it was. Wake could not answer it, even coming out of the break. I could not have known that I would have been this prophetic, but I was. 
when I said that if you would, Big Daddy Jay's got a little something for you. Virginia Tech is winless in the ACC. Virginia will cover the point and a half. Oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never a doubt. Never a doubt. It was in the whole way. Cha-ching! We're on the cover train, baby! Virginia wins at 54-52. That's a cover. That's a putt up the slope that goes by the hole and rolls back down. And in the cup. <laughs> That's a cover. Whoo. Yeah, man. And it was funny because I even made the joke. I don't care how it looks. Just win by two or more, guys. It looked ugly, and they won by two or more. 54-52 is so Virginia. So Virginia. Unwatchable. It's enough to make you angry. It's a it's a an affront to quality basketball everywhere. But it's a win. You know, this game Saturday is actually a really big one. I was looking at the remainder of the schedule, including the ACC slate, and playing the internal W's and L's game. Just mm. an internal one, not yeah, one made for broadcast air. A little bit. And looking to see how we could get to 11 wins or 12 wins. Well, the path to 12 includes this one on Saturday. You, you kind of have to win it. And I don't know that 11 conference wins is going to be good enough to secure an at-large bid. Because the conference isn't great. If you're currently looking at net rankings, now, listen, is it too soon to do this? Probably. But I'm going to give them to you from who's in first to where I'll go all the way down to. You're going to list every single team. Uh, Okay, because it matters. You ready? Where are, okay, all right. No, 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 of the ACC. Oh, you're talking about the 11 I, wins. I was like, my God. Oh, we'll be here all day. Yeah. No, I'm not doing that. No, here are the net rankings and where Florida State, where the ACC sits, to gotcha. your point. Yep, to yep, your yep. point. Okay, you ready? Miami, 81st. Leads the way? They're, no, no, they're in first place in the ACC. Oh, okay, all right. I'm going in order of the Order current, of ACC standings and where the correlation is in net. Okay, got you. 81st, Miami. 69th. Nice. Notre Dame. Duke, 12. Okay. North Carolina, 32. Louisville, who we gave their only – well, now they have two losses. They got their ass beat at the Yum Center. They did. That's about to fall off a cliff, by the way. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, 106th. Well, good that one, did you? 82nd is Virginia. Then us, 72nd. Wake, you see the trend here? Wake, 57th. Clemson, 66. Syracuse, 98. Boston College, 196th. NC State, 122nd. Georgia Tech, 154th. Pitt, 197th. Jesus, get it together, Pitt. Uh, Virginia Tech, 39th. Well, a lot of good it does you, Virginia Tech. You're 0-4 in the conference, but you're 39th in the net. That's a sneaky, important game then. Hopefully they've quit by that point. They have every reason to. Advances our net. So... Florida State also revised uh, the schedule, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw this to make up the previous COVID-19 postponements. So we'll take on North Florida at the TLCCC next Thursday at noon. I guess you'll have live updates for everybody. A little, a little nooner yeah, on yeah. a Thursday. Uh, that game was originally scheduled on the 21st of December. Then they turn around, unfortunately, and quickly have to go and play Miami on that Saturday. So I... Yeah, so the week is Syracuse on Saturday, mm-hmm. Duke Tuesday, mm-hmm. UNF Thursday in a complete tweener game that you might not care about, which and you should because they've walked into this building and given us hell. Fits. And then you go on the road play Miami. That's a four-game stretch. That is inconvenient, sir. Our Boston College game, which was originally scheduled for December the 29th, has been moved 
to Monday night, February the 21st. Thankfully, we rescheduled that game. You need that one. You do, but it's two days after you play Duke at night on a Saturday. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not – I like us to win the game. But, yeah, could have used a Tuesday. Yeah. So, we're going to have to be playing in both the made-up games in a scenario by which it is a two-day turnaround before a road game. Mm, no, man. That's not what you do, but it's a weird year. So, our game against UCF – the Orange Bowl Classic and Sunrise will be the only one, unless they decide to make that up too. I don't think they will. It will be the only game that was officially canceled and not made up from the original 31 game schedule. So that's where we sit. Yeah, I want the games. I mean, you want to play the games. Yeah, you need every opportunity you, you can to win. You Apparently, you need to play UCF and UNF to better your net. Apparently, because good lord, what what happened to you, Pitt? I'm offended by that 197th net. What happened to UACC? Since when are we down and the whole league is like, oh, where's Florida State? We need your help. Why? This is your sport. This is supposed to be your territory. Uh, yeah, Duke and North Carolina are like, we got it. We're 13-2 and two and 11-4, oh, and four, respectively. For once. Yeah. Duke <laughs> has won the conference in eons. Like, for real. <laughs> it's, it has been a while. By the way, Georgia Tech picked up their first ACC win last night, beating Boston College. Just so you know, the battle for suck is uh, not going to be lost by Georgia Tech. They're moving up, and BC's moving down. Well, or one, depending on how you look at it. So on Sunday, we, uh, I did the smash on, on Warchant TV, and it's a rotating you know yeah. staff thing now for Warchant Colorado football season, and Adrian Crawford was a guest on the show. And, and I asked him about the 14-win discussion from our previous game mm-hmm. and the win over Louisville, how uh, the commentary on, on the ESPN broadcast was, I think you need 14 conference wins to be definitely in the tournament. And I thought that sounded preposterous. I asked Adrian about it. We both commiserated that, eh, that seems a little strong. It's not much fewer than 14. Right. You might need 12 right. to get in. And that's still a ton for us, given where we are as a program this year. I know Currently, the yeah, league is say, down. It would ordinarily be that way. Correct. Yes. Now, if we had beaten Syracuse like we were supposed to at home, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Fundamentally, the record looks completely I can't hear, different. I can't hear the word supposed to without Magic Johnson in my ear. So supposed <laughs> to win. <laughs> we find that. Magic Johnson. Oh, I nailed it. That was, that was pitch good. perfect. Yeah. Pulled that out of the bag on a oh, random Thursday. I'm proud. Yeah, you're going to get me into a mode where I end up going through W's and L's in basketball, and we have already, rather politely, laid out the reasons that that would be foolish because this team is going to be wildly unpredictable, I would think. But if you did beat Syracuse, Mm-hmm. I don't know that we would know that as much. Like we would be like, "Oh, this team is flawed." But still, I mean, look at the floor of the program. We would be four and one in conference, so we'd be in second place in the ACC standings, and we'd be ten and four overall. That feels a hell of a lot better than three and two and nine and five. It would. It would certainly mask uh, some of the problems that we know this team to have. Like we would probably get swept up in the record a little bit and be like, "Well, you know, they're fine." But we know this is a team that has some real hurdles uh, and and difficulties. Uh, that await them just because of the way they're constructed. So it, it's it's difficult. Um, yeah, it feels weird to go at Syracuse, W, Duke here, L, at Miami. You sure about that at Syracuse? Yes, yeah, W. They big do time, run a zone. Big time W, baby. Going to beat that ass. <laughs> they run a zone. Dome. Come on. We need good Come Caleb Mills. Come get you some. Let's go. If we don't have good Caleb Mills, I don't like our chances. We were running away with that game the first time around. 
and then fell on our faces for hours. Which we will do. <laughs> yeah. In which we do, as the old yeah. Jimbo used to say. So, okay, I'm going to go. Here you go. I'll do this rapid fire just for the for the masses. At Syracuse. W, big win at the Carrier Dome. Ooh. Three o'clock. January 15th. Woo-hoo-hoo. That's a that's a weird time. I'm not be flipping back and forth. That'll be our 10th win of the season. Four and two in the conference. Boom. Big L to Duke here. Big L on the road at Miami. Quickly, we're at 500 in the conference. On the road to Georgia Tech. Big time beat down in Atlanta at 9 o'clock. Georgia Tech, come get your whooping. I hope so. We never play well in that building. Followed by a win against Virginia Tech here. Followed by a win at Clemson in the Little John. Followed Whoa, by... Whoa, we beat them in the Little John? Yes, and Clemson stinks. Uh, That's 7-4 and four in conference. Yeah, rolling on Big River. Then it's Wake Forest here. They're all wrong for us, baby. That's another L. 7-5 and five in conference. Pitt here, that's a win. At North Carolina, that's a loss. Clemson here, that's a win. 9-6. and six. At Duke is a loss. 9-7. and seven. At BC's a win. At Virginia, probably a loss. 10-8 and eight in conference. Notre Dame here. It's a pretty quality Notre Dame that's team. A team. That's a That's... Probably an L. Why am I giving us an L in the Tucker Center? You cannot do that. The TLC double C is not a place in which you just yeah, stroll right. on in and expect to get a victory. We're going to get all the calls, right, Mike Bray? We're in the league, too. NC State here, another win for Florida State. There it is. 11. Well, wait, no. So did you revise the Notre Dame stance to be a win for Florida State? Yeah, I, I'm going to. That's 12. Yeah. That's 12 conference We're wins. in. We're in. Maybe a little work to do at the Barclays Center for the ACC tournament March the 8th through the 12th. Unfortunately, because I would have told you, I'll meet you there, Tom. Let's have fun in Brooklyn. But I'm going to be skiing in the mountains of Montana, so that is not going to happen. Looks like I'm filling in on those there days. You we go. we got to have coverage. Have some fun with it, buddy. I won't be here. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping I'm saying in about 48 hours. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Yes, that is what you think uh, we are playing, because I, I, I've never told you this, I absolutely love Ronnie Spector, and the Ronettes, and all, I love her voice, and uh, woke up this morning, read she had passed, so I told Tom, do the right thing She made a lot of records later in her career, too, Tom, like as recently as a few years ago, that were very, very, very good. Um, you know, the Ronettes are what they are. It's very of the time. Um, but I but yeah, rather rather enjoy them. But uh, they, she, I think the album was called Last of the Rock Stars. It was like 06 or 07 or something like that. It came out. It's a good record, man. Her voice is still beautiful and it's weathered and, and she's taken on. It's a different persona altogether. Her voice is still the same, but because it's weathered, because she's older, she can do more with it in terms of sort of the gruff aspects. And uh, it's really good. But rest in peace, Ronnie Spector. I love that genre of music. It's a guilty pleasure of mine, especially when traveling. There's something about, you know, the excitement of traveling and you listen to something like the Ronettes. You're, you're, 
and going to be very happy. It, it's, it's so that success for them occurs in the '60s, the very early '60s, '63, '64, '65, uh, and carries on throughout the rest of the decade. Uh, and then later on, it's the solo career she embarks on, and she's utilized by any number of people for years. Eddie Money uh, uses her in "Take Me Home Tonight." She's the one singing "Be My Little Bit." You know, that's her. Um, so she ends up becoming featured on a lot of different records, but. Like a long period of time would go by, and then somebody would go, "Oh yeah, I should call Ronnie Spector for this." Like if you needed somebody to come in and sing a female part of a male-driven song, they would be like, "Oh, call Ronnie Spector. She kicks ass." Eddie Money deserves a lot of credit for that because until he brought her on board in 1986 for that song, uh, "Take Me Home Tonight," like people just completely forgot about her for a long time. And I can still remember hearing that song and then thinking, "That's Ronnie Spector." Like. Where has she been? Have you heard Eddie Eddie Money do his DJing on on Sirius? He's a, dead, Tom. Oh, it's not Eddie Money then. No, who the hell is it? I don't know, but he's dead. Well, he recently died though, didn't he? A few years ago. A few years ago. Double check Eddie Money. Maybe dead. it's a tape or something because they there well, was they a special on Eighties on Eight, and he was talking at length. Oh, so, okay. Like, like, well, that would make sense. And he's ripping on bands left and right, and, he, and he's just ripping on them for being formulaic. He goes, "Now a formulaic song by me." <laughs> oh, well done, Eddie. Take me home tonight. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. yeah, Eddie Money, dead, been dead for three years. Okay, so I guess that was a tape from the old days of Sirius XM. But mm-hmm. I, I laughed my butt off for about five minutes because he had no, you know, Fs to give. He just ripped people left and right. He goes, now, formulate music by me. Made me a lot of money. Yeah, uh, it did. And uh, anyhow, that's so good. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad I got that right. I hate when I say somebody's dead when they're not. But I usually don't miss that. You somehow miss out when people die. I do. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But it leads to shock on the air sometimes. <laughs> that didn't shock me because I heard him. You know, like I know what I heard. But, you know, there are a couple that are well noted that uh, I hurt. One of my favorites of all time. Hey, we wondered aloud. I think I'm. I, let's just take this to the top. I, I wondered aloud uh, what in the hell happened down in Miami with Brian Flores. I want to circle back to that since we're looking ahead to the NFL playoffs, of which the Dolphins are not a part. But, and he's going to get another job. But I heard, I read a, a story from the beat reporter uh, in Miami that covers this team for ESPN. Uh, I was stunned. So, do you realize that while the Dolphins were going through that long winning streak, winning seven games, all of that, that he and his staff, the coaching staff, didn't communicate. He wouldn't talk to them. So when the firing happened, we were kind of like, oh, here's the Dolphins being the Dolphins. Bad ownership yet again. Here we go. You're firing a coach who a year ago went 10-6 and six in his second year with the team after going 5-11 and 11 in year one and inheriting a nightmare of a roster. Just like that, he got them to 10-6, and six, lest we forget. And this team, which started horrendously outside of opening day where they won. Uh, by the way, they swept New England. But anyhow, he, so he wins that game. He has a winning record against Bill Belichick, who he's a protege of. Has a bad year, but not a terrible year. I mean, they bounced back and did have the winning streak. And then he gets fired, and we were thinking, what in the world? So when they were citing relationship issues and a lack of collaboration, okay, so this reeks of something behind the scenes because not one time was football mentioned. Nobody said, 
regarding his firing, that there was a problem with his philosophy, a problem with his approach to coaching the team as far as the X's and O's of the game go. You just kept hearing about relationships and collaborative efforts that were lacking. And then that's when I cited yesterday on the show the stat about four different offensive line coaches, three different offensive coordinators, two different, you know, all those numbers. We thought, that's weird. I mean, it's one thing to kind of, you know, lose guys, they get promoted, whatever. It's another, you're only in a place three years and you've had four different line coaches. That's weird. Well, he shut it down. Wouldn't his assistant coaches off the record were telling reporters, I, he doesn't communicate. We don't know what he's thinking. But they're winning games every week, which is like, that seems crazy to me. So the system he put in place was working, but he wasn't there to govern it? He, it? The relationship game is a tricky one. He did not have a great relationship with the GM. The GM kisses Ross's butt, Stephen Ross's butt. That's why he's been there forever. Greer has been there forever during this stretch of sorry Miami football, and yet he keeps his job, right? Yeah. So clearly one knows how to play the game. The other one doesn't know yeah, how to in, play the in game. In March, he and Cashman in New York uh, you know, sit down for a glass of champagne and say, another year. Another year. But here's the funny thing about this, and I completely understand it in a weird way, uh, and I don't know what's going on with all the different assistants, but Flores had a major disagreement, one would speculate, with Greer about who they should have drafted. And he wanted, desperately, Herbert. He did not want Tua. And so that relationship got frosted. Oh, yeah. But now the theory is that Greer also didn't want Tua, but Ross told him they had to draft Tua. And so you have this fractured, here we go. Yep, that's where it is. Can you imagine that? What a mess. Hour number two, forthcoming. Stay with